Good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys today. I'm really glad to be here this morning, and I'm glad that you're here, too. Uh, we're in week three of this sermon series called To the Ends of the Earth. And before I say anything else, I need to give a quick shout out to those Johnson University students who led our worship service last week. Man, those guys did a phenomenal job. And I, yeah. I'm so thankful that Plum Creek is sending out students to take a lead role in advancing God's kingdom. So let's continue to pray for Brennan and Adam and Andrew and Drew and Easton and all of the other students we met last week. I, I also want to take just a second to recognize our worship team. Man, David and the team, they work hard week in and week out to lead us in worship into God's presence, and they do a great job. And Thursday night, if you were here for the special Thursday, uh, night of worship, I know that you were blessed by being here. So I really appreciate these guys, too. They, they had to work twice as much this week preparing for two services, and uh, we, don't, uh, uh, we don't always know how much work that is, so I appreciate them. All right, so let's jump back into this sermon series. If you've been around our church for the past few weeks, you know what this is about. We've been talking about the purpose of the church. And we've ha we have a theme verse in this series. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to go back and read that. And just to make sure we're all up to speed, here's the setting of Acts chapter 1. After Jesus died on the cross... And after he rose from the dead, there was a period of 40 days where Jesus appeared to his disciples. And over those 40 days, he was preparing them for the day when he would leave this world and go back to be with his heavenly father. And eventually, it came time for Jesus to go. And in Acts 1 verse 8, just moments before he ascended into heaven, he spoke these words. Jesus said this to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now this verse is, is like a map that shows us how the message of Jesus would spread across the world. The church began in the city of Jerusalem. And from there, the disciples took the gospel into the surrounding region, into Judea and Samaria. And over time, the church expanded way out into Europe and Africa and farther into Asia, out toward the ends of the earth. So that was God's plan for the New Testament church. And it's still God's plan for the church today. Here at Plum Creek, our Jerusalem is the community directly around us. It'd be our local friends and family and neighbors. Our Judea and Samaria would be the wider region, northern Kentucky, um, greater Cincinnati, and even beyond. And of course, the ends of the earth is still the ends of the earth. But this is God's purpose. God has a mission to bring people of all nations back into a restored relationship with him for our good and for his glory. God wants to partner with the church to accomplish his mission. And here at Plum Creek, we don't just go to church. We are the church. So that means we need to take an active role in doing what he's called the church to do. 
So with that in mind, we have a special offering that's connected with this series. It's the Acts 1-8 offering. And I'm excited because as of today, we're going live. You can give toward this offering from today through March 10th. And in case you haven't heard about this, our Acts 1-8 offering is focused on three initiatives that will all make a difference for God's kingdom. First, we're supporting the work of Camp Northward, just down the road here, south of Falmouth. Uh, In fact, um, just this weekend, Friday night and Saturday morning, the Plum Creek elders, deacons, and staff uh, spent time at Camp Northward. Uh, We prayed together. We worked on some plans and some goals, and we just hung out together and had a good time. And I came away from that so thankful for the leadership that we have here. Uh, God has really blessed us. But Camp Northward, it's an amazing place. It's a place where young people are encouraged and equipped to follow Jesus. And the camp connects with young people in the wider region here across northern Kentucky. So when we give to support the work of camp, we're helping reach out to our Jerusalem, but also our Judea and Samaria. Now, the second part of this offering goes to provide scholarships for people from Plum Creek who go out and serve on a short-term mission trip. Then the third initiative is a project in the country of Myanmar. Uh, We're helping train missionaries from Myanmar who are going out to areas of their country where the vast majority of people don't know Jesus, and these missionaries are going to plant churches in those unreached areas. Now, I went into more detail about the Myanmar Project two weeks ago, and if you didn't have a chance to listen to that sermon, I hope you'll get uh, caught up, go back and uh, listen or watch. Now, our goal for this offering is $15,000, and the amount will be divided evenly among each project. And as we kick off this offering today, I wanted to make sure that we have a clear idea of how these funds will be used. So for that reason, I invited my friend Nathan DeRico to come up and share with us today. Uh, Nathan is the director of Camp Northward. He's also one of the elders here at Plum Creek, and he's going to talk about some of what camp is about, what God is doing there, and how our offering could help make a difference. So let's welcome Nathan this morning. Thanks, Doug. Good morning. When you think about summer camps, um, sometimes you think about uh, soccer camp or baseball camp, volleyball camp band camp. There's all kinds of camps for, for youth and families to choose from uh, these days. Uh, but whatever it is that you, uh, that you think of, each one is designed uh, to help young people uh, to grow in some way, to grow in some skills, to get better at something. If you send your, your son or your daughter to soccer camp, you expect that they're going to come home uh, better at soccer, or at least Uh, have the skills um, and some tools to help them improve over time. The same thing is true for any sort of camp that you might send them to. They're going to have some fun, you know, with kids their own age. They're going to have some cool experiences that they can come home and and share with you. Uh, But at the end of the day, um, if you're going to invest in this this camp that you're sending them to, you hope that they're going to come back with something that is going to positively influence them, something that that they're going to bring back with them that's going to improve them in that field 
uh, whatever it is that the camp is about. Camp Northward doesn't focus on soccer uh, or football or basketball, soccer, band, any of those kinds of things. Uh, we do some of those things, and the kids have a lot of fun, and they have those cool experiences. But that's not what we focus on. What we focus on is your son's and your daughter's relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we focus on. Camp Northward exists to encourage, strengthen, and equip for personal growth and a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Our summer programming is designed purposefully, excuse me, for youth to be able to come away from the normal routine of life, for them to be able to get away from the distractions of the world so that they are able to focus on God and His Word. We believe that if we can turn up the influence of God, and we can turn down the influence of the world for young people, even if it's just for one week of their summer, that the Holy Spirit is going to move in powerful ways. Every year, we see lives transformed through biblical teaching and through times of of worship and, and personal discipleship. Now, you, I want to make sure that I explain that we don't do this on our own. Uh, I don't want you to get the wrong idea of what Camp Northward is. We are only able to do what we do as Camp Northward because of our relationships with churches like Plum Creek. Church leaders um, and, and, and volunteers, ministers and elders and youth group leaders and youth ministers, they provide so much for our ministry during the summer. They provide some leadership for the different sessions that we have for different age groups. They provide volunteers. They provide uh, the planning for the lessons, and they provide prayer support, and they provide some financial support. What we provide as camp is we provide a location. We, we provide facilities. We provide some structure, and we provide the supporting staff that's able to undergird the ministry. What we try to do is take care of all of the behind-the-scenes things, all the logistical things, so that those from the churches can come in and really focus on what's important, on the ministry to your sons and your daughters. And this is true for many other churches as well. Again, not just Plum Creek, but lots of churches in the area that come together to make our ministry possible. And we believe that this is the heart of Camp Northward, these relationships with the churches and the relationships that are built between adults who love Jesus and kids who need to be taught and encouraged and strengthened and equipped. I've seen and I've heard lots of stories about how when youth leaders and youth ministers come and spend an entire week with their youth groups, that it really positively affects, it just propels their ministry throughout the rest of the year. One of the major ways that we kind of work behind the scenes as Camp Northward is by providing um, purposefully crafted opportunities for learning experiences, for teachable moments, and for deep conversations about faith. Our facilities and our activities are all designed to purposefully make these things or allow these things to take place. Our zip line, our, our archery uh, range, our, our campfire areas, our team building elements, everything else that we have as well, they're all designed and used to help kids grow in their relationship 
with Jesus. We want them to have these opportunities, unique opportunities, for these deep conversations about faith with leaders like Doug and Jimmy and one of our elders, Mike. They're, they're all coming back this summer to help lead in these ministries this year, these sessions. While they're there, campers are encouraged in their walk with Jesus as they listen to lessons, as they participate in conversations about faith. The Holy Spirit is able to move as they encounter him through times of worship, times of personal devotions. We try to equip campers with knowledge and with wisdom of God's word as they encounter that each and every day throughout the day. They're just immersed in his word. And out in creation, campers are able to experience God in a much different way than they can during the normal routine of life. Now, for this kind of ministry to happen, the opportunities have to be there, have to be created. And for these opportunities to be created, we have to have the facilities to do that. We have to have more places and spaces on campus for these things to take place, for for large groups to come together and for small groups to come together. And these spaces and these places on campus are going to be the opportunities for the lessons and for the times of worship and for the uh, conversations that can take place in a, in a small group sort of setting. One of the things that we would like to add to our campus this year is an octagon swing area. And, and we have a picture here from, from another camp up in Ohio. And, and as you can see, it's kind of a fire pit sort of area, but instead of benches, it's, it's swings. Uh, and it just provides a very, um, very intimate, very small location for a small group of campers to come together. And I am really excited and looking forward to the opportunities for something like this to be on our campus, where the opportunities for, for lessons and for, for games, uh, for these deep conversations about faith and for worship to take place in a place like this. Over the years, hundreds of campers are going to be sitting here. They're going to be experiencing God and connecting with each other and with adults about Jesus. As we see every summer, I'm confident that God's Spirit is going to move in powerful ways and change lives through what takes place here in a place like this. How many young people are going to decide to give their lives to Jesus, to make Him Lord of their lives because of something that takes place somewhere like here? Only God knows. Now, if enough money is raised, we we might be able to put two of these up in different locations. Uh, one of them is going to be nice and central and where lots and lots of groups are going to be able to take uh, advantage of it. Uh, but we have plenty of room on our 90-acre campus uh, for, more than, for more than one of them. But we're also working on lots of other things too, lots of facility things that, that in the end are going to help create these opportunities for, for these shared learning experiences that they can have together, for these teachable moments to take place and for some deep conversations about faith. So regardless of the amount of money, you can be assured uh, that we are going to use it to help to encourage, strengthen, and equip campers. Your sons 
and your daughters and your nieces and nephews and grandchildren for their relationship and their growth in Jesus Christ. So I just want to say thank you in advance for your generosity. Thank you for partnering with us in this way for ministry to take place for, for, the, for the young people of Plum Creek, but for the young people all over our area. So you can find out more if you would like to by going to our website, campnorthward.org. And uh, our registration is going to be opening up uh, here March 1st. So I encourage you to check that as, out as well and get them signed up. Thanks. Really appreciate Nathan sharing with us today. I appreciate the work of the camp, and I'm looking forward to being there again this summer. And uh, like I said, the, the offering uh, we can give today, and if you'd like to do that, you can go to plumcreek.org slash special offering, or you can scan this QR code. And just a heads up, the one in your bulletin is actually incorrect, um, but this one does work. And I also want to thank you in advance for giving. Now, for the rest of our time today, I want to shift gears a little. In the first two weeks of this series, we looked back at what God has been doing over the last 2,000 years. Today, though, I want to look ahead to the future. And before we get to the future, we need to look at our current situation. As we saw in Acts 1-8, Jesus gave the disciples a huge task. He said, I want you to be my witnesses Locally in Jerusalem, regionally in Judea and Samaria, and out to the ends of the earth. Jesus said something similar over in Matthew 28. He told his disciples to go into the world and make more disciples of all nations. All nations. And as we've been saying in this series, that word nations, it doesn't refer to political countries like the just under 200 countries we have in the world today. It refers to ethnic people groups. And we actually have over 17,000 people groups in the world right now. And over 7,000 of those people groups are considered unreached. And when we say that, when we say that these groups are unreached, we're talking about fewer than 5% of the population calling themselves Christians. So, clearly, after 2,000 years, this task is far from complete. But again, let's think about the future. What's the end goal here? Where's the, where's the final destination? What will it look like when God's mission is complete? Well, we might have different ideas about that. Uh, one idea is we might think the, the end goal is to have a strong and thriving thriving church of Jesus followers among every people group. Now, I, I believe that's going to happen, and uh, that will be a major milestone, but it's actually not the final destination. If you want to see where all of this is headed, go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. In this verse, the Apostle John gives us an amazing glimpse of the future. Check it out. Revelation 7, 9. John says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. 
They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. There are so many things I love about that picture. You've got this massive group of people who are standing in God's presence. They're in the final fully realized version of His kingdom. And as you read on in this chapter, you see that these people are incredibly blessed. They will never again go hungry or thirsty. Tears and sadness are a thing of the past for them. Death itself is a thing of the past. But there's another amazing part of this picture, and we don't want to miss it. Across this enormous crowd, John sees people from every nation and tribe and people and language. So the vast, the, 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 the vast diversity of the human race will be on full display there. And that's God's mission, right? He wants to bring people of all nations back into a restored relationship with Him. And as we see in Revelation 7, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. So what do you think? Does this vision appeal to you? Does does that sound like a place you want to be? Do you want to join that crowd to be not only in God's presence, but to be standing together with people of all nations? I'm sure a lot of us would say, yeah, I like that idea. I'd love to be there. It's kind of funny. As I was reading through Revelation 7 this week, uh, I had a thought that may seem kind of random. I started thinking about a particular attraction down in Disney World. Uh, Any idea what attraction I'm thinking of? I, I heard it. Somebody got it. It's a little boat ride called It's a Small World. Disney calls this the happiest cruise that ever sailed. And if you haven't ridden this ride, you climb into a boat and you float through rooms that represent different regions of the world. And literally hundreds of animatronic dolls are singing the same song over and over again. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, small world. A lot of people love that song, but some people hate it because once it gets into your head, it just doesn't want to leave. But as I thought about that ride this week, I also thought about my grandfather. My grandfather loved It's a Small World. And you know why? He said, it's a vision of peace on earth. All these children from all over the world singing in harmony. Now, whether or not you like this boat ride, I think all of us can get behind the idea of peace on earth. That's a good thing, right? We love the idea of the end of war. We'd love to see that. We'd love to see genuine love among uh, all the different cultures and people groups across the world. But, you know, we need to acknowledge a hard truth here. We like this vision of peace and harmony, but the path to get there is hard. And why is that? Well, we're people. 
And we have this tendency. Uh, Many of us like the idea of unity, but we tend toward division. We saw that tendency in the book of Acts two weeks ago. There was a lot of tension between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And we talked about this. In the earliest days of the church, Christianity it was made up almost entirely of Jews. And to be honest, many of those Jewish followers of Jesus were perfectly happy to leave Gentiles out of their Christian club. But in Acts chapter 10, God gave a vision to the apostle Peter. And in this vision, God made it very clear that Gentiles are totally welcome in his church and in his kingdom. And the Jewish Christians started to get on board with that idea to an extent. It was kind of like this. Imagine that I'm holding a piece of sidewalk chalk in my hand. Now, we said uh, many of us like the idea of unity, but we tend toward division. So, this is kind of like what some of those Jewish Christians did. They, they drew a circle around themselves, and this circle marked the difference between us and them. Those Gentiles were over there. And some of these Jewish Christians said, yeah, you, you're welcome to join us inside this circle, but you have to become like us. You have to follow all of our rules and all of our regulations. And by the way, that includes circumcision. Now, it's interesting. God never told those Gentiles they had to do that. But some of these Jewish Christians took it on themselves to make those requirements. And we really shouldn't give these guys too much of a hard time because we often do the same thing. In a lot of churches, we draw a circle around ourselves and we have a similar expectation We say, yeah, you're welcome to join us, but if you do, you need to become like us. And don't get me wrong here. When you surrender your life to Jesus, God will expect you to make some changes and make some sacrifices. That's part of the deal. But Christians get off track when we make requirements that God does not ask for. It's kind of like if you want to join us, you need to look like us. You need to dress like us. You need to adopt our preferences. You you need to agree with our opinions. That's not what God wants for the church. And we can learn some important lessons from the early days of Christianity. So as we keep reading through the New Testament, we see that Jesus did an amazing thing. Somehow, through the work of Jesus, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians became one family. We got to realize how unlikely that was, but it happened. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells us how it went down. Let's read some of what he wrote. In Ephesians 2, verse 11, Paul is speaking to Gentile Christians, and he said, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, outside the circle. And you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Those Jews were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. 
You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So Paul explains here that many of the Jews thought of themselves as superior to the Gentiles. Now, Paul himself was very Jewish. Um, Before he became a follower of Jesus, he was one of those legalistic Pharisees. But through Christ, Paul came to a a realization. He, He said, hey, we Jews need Jesus just as much as any of the Gentiles do. I mean, we can try to follow all the rules and regulations of the law, but we're going to fail. We won't get any closer to God by trying to follow rules. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And, of course, that's why Jesus came into this world. He came to be the Savior for both Jews and Gentiles. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He took our punishment on His shoulders. And through His sacrifice, every person from every people group is invited to come to Jesus and find forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Everyone's invited to receive that free gift. Not everyone accepts it, but everyone's invited. We can all be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's why in the next verse, Paul says this, But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Now, when Paul talks about a wall of hostility, he's not using figurative language there. That that wall was literal. At at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there was a fence. It, It kept the Gentiles out of the inner courtyards and out of the temple itself. And next to the fence, there were large signs with red letters. And the signs said something like this, If any Gentile is caught inside this fence, you are responsible for your own death. It's pretty intense. Now, the truth is, in the days of the Old Testament, the barrier between Jews and Gentiles, it it was necessary. Because God chose the nation of Israel to be set apart because the Messiah would come from His chosen people. But now the Messiah had come, so the barrier could be dismantled. So it's an amazing thing. Jesus not only reconciles us to God, He reconciles us to each other. He helps us overcome our tendency toward division. He removes the barriers between us. And look at what happens when those barriers are removed. Ephesians 2 verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. I love this. In the church, we are one family. 
no matter what culture you come from. There's a lot of diversity in this one family, but at the end of the day, we've been united and reconciled, not just to God, but to each other. Jesus takes a, a big hose to those uh, circles on the, on the sidewalk, those chalk circles. They're gone. You know, uh, it's great to read about unity and reconciliation in the early church. But what does unity and reconciliation look like in the church today? Well, to be honest, it's not always easy. I want to give you a hypothetical scenario here. And I don't mind telling you, uh, this scenario is pretty intimidating to me. I wrestled with it a little bit this week. Now, first, I want to give you some background. Our executive minister, Jared Perkins, came across some demographic studies about the community right around Plum Creek. And he showed, uh, showed me some statistics that uh, apply specifically to the bottom 25% of Campbell County, so the, the very southern part of the county. And a lot of this information is fascinating to me. For example, when it comes to religious preference, here's, here's what it says. 22% of southern Campbell County residents refer to themselves as Protestant Christians. 22%. 27% identify as Catholic. 50.8% give no religious affiliation at all. Now, I was really surprised by that. Uh, we have a lot of people right around us who need Jesus. There's a lot of work to do right here in our Jerusalem. But I was also interested in the ethnic makeup of our community. And in this case, I wasn't surprised. 99.2% of Southern Campbell County residents are white. And as a church, Plum Creek pretty much reflects the community around us. But what did we read in Revelation 7? We saw that heaven is not going to look like Southern Campbell County. And in theory, I'm sure pretty much all of us would say, yeah, that's a very good thing. But now, here's my hypothetical scenario. What if our church started to change in the very near future, and our church started to look more and more like heaven? Just a few years ago, uh, there was a group of refugees from Somalia down in Butler, very close to here. And you may know that Somalia is a country in eastern Africa. And in recent decades, a lot of the news out of Somalia has not been good. But what if, what if, when those Somali refugees were living in Butler, what if some of them started to come to Plum Creek? That would be a good thing, right? And what if some of them found a life-changing relationship with Jesus and they were truly transformed by Christ? That would be a good thing, right? Now, what if uh, more and more Somali refugees came to Kentucky and more and more came to Plum Creek and more and more came to Christ? All good things, right? And what if we got to the point where Plum Creek was 50% white Americans and 50% Somalis? Now, I know this is extreme. I know this is a little out there, but just go with me here for a second. What would that experience be like? 
Keep in mind, there are some major differences between Somali people and white Americans. Um, Somalis come from a different continent. Uh, they have many different cultural practices. Uh, they follow a religion that is very foreign to most of us. In fact, 98.9% of Somalis are Muslim. And, of course, when a Muslim becomes a follower of Christ, they need to leave behind a lot of their old religious beliefs and practices. However, from God's perspective, there are many aspects of their culture that don't need to change at all. So if that imaginary scenario became a reality, Plum Creek would look very different than it does today. And to be honest, I think we can admit that transition would be challenging for everyone involved. There'd be a lot of things we had to work through. Kind of like there were a lot of issues that the Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians had to work through. And really, it was a supernatural thing that God brought those two groups together into one people and one family. And so for every member of this church family, here's the question we need to wrestle with. Does my heart align with God's heart? Do I want what He wants? Now, I'm not saying that God wants to erase our different cultural identities. He loves diversity. Look at creation. Look at all the different species of birds and fish and mammals. Differences aren't the problem. It's the barriers that pose the problem. God wants to see all nations come together and sing the same song of praise. Again, it's kind of funny, but that takes me back to it's a small world. When that ride was in development, uh, the Imagineers had a plan for all of the animatronic dolls to sing the national anthems from the countries they represented. And the Imagineers actually tried that. Um, they set it up where all the national anthems played at the same time, and it was terrible. <laughs> it was a cacophony, musical chaos. And so, Walt Disney himself went to his songwriters, the Sherman Brothers, and he said, guys, I need one song that can be translated into many different languages and then played as a round. And that's when the Sherman brothers wrote, It's a Small World. And when the ride opened, children from every country sang the same song. Different languages, one song. It's a lot like Revelation 7, isn't it? Let's read that again. John says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. A great multicultural roar of praise. That's where God's kingdom story is headed. So this week, let's ask God to help us move toward that future. 
As I close here, I want to leave you with two simple, quick action steps. Step number one, pray that God will align your heart with his heart. Pray that he'll help us want what he wants. And then step number two, let's make this real. Share God's love with someone outside of your circle. And there are lots and lots of ways to do that, but one way we can all take this step is to participate in the Acts 1-8 offering. We can make a difference for God's kingdom locally, regionally, and globally. We can help all kinds of people be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. So let's align our hearts with God's heart. Let's pray. Father, you know the tendencies that we have. We have lots of tendencies and temptations to uh, choose things that you don't want. But we see in your word what you do want, and it's a beautiful picture. So, Lord, uh, help us wherever uh, our hearts are not in line with yours. Help us to, to love what you love, care about what you care about. Have a heart that breaks for what breaks your heart. Lord, we need the work of your Holy Spirit in us for that to happen. And so we pray for that work in Jesus' name. Amen.